Okay, we just decided this is our airing our dirty laundry episode today. You guys ready for that? Yes. Okay, so Lauren didn't Lauren didn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> is our family are our families ready for that? Uh, yeah, our family we're gonna air our dirty laundry. No, not really, but we're gonna talk a little bit about our own lives and our own situations, at least Rochelle and I are, because those of you listening can relate to some of the things we're going to say, and I really feel like you'll be able to relate to some of the things we're going to talk about today. And that is your children and your retirement. There are a couple of different ways to think about this, a couple of different, uh, what, what do you want to call this, Lauren? There's a couple of different camps when it comes to uh, your kids in your retirement and, and go through those camps for us. Yeah. I, I like to refer to them as mindsets. So there's a couple different mindsets that people take or have as they think about getting their, their kids involved in their retirement plan. Uh, one of those mindsets is they don't want their kids to have any knowledge of what their finances are, what their retirement intent is, how, how are they going to be able to afford their lifestyle? They're just really private. And, and we see this a lot with the families that we work with, with their parents, you know, it's that, that great depression era uh, where they, they've gone through a lot of really bad scenarios. So their, their mindset is completely different and they tend to be really private. These, these are the stories that we hear from our families where their parents will pass away and they have to go digging in the backyard for the jars full of money, or they have to dig in the drywall looking for any cash that could be crazy. And, And they don't, their parents didn't share anything with them. Um, and I think that that is a teaching moment for a lot of the families we work with that they don't want to have their kids go through that. So the other the other couple mindsets are kind of the, the second one is kind of a hybrid where they want to share some of the information with them, but they don't necessarily want their kids to know all of the details of they have three million dollars saved for retirement. Uh, and what we do in these situations is we might involve the kids in some of the retirement planning meetings, and we won't talk dollar amounts, but we will talk about the specific types of accounts that they have. So if their parents pass away, they inherit these accounts. What are some of the pitfalls that, that typically kids fall into from a taxation standpoint? How should they handle these types of, of, of accounts? Do they need to go into an inherited account, or they can, can they take full control and ownership over those accounts? Those are the types of conversations we'll have in those meetings. And then we have the third mindset, which is the families we work with are a complete open book to their kids and they will share them with, they will share the plan with them. In fact, the kids will be in some of the planning meetings when we're going to go through at retirement, you need $6,000 a month. You're going to get this amount from social security. You're going to get this amount from your million dollar IRA and this amount from your $500,000 brokerage account. And the kids know everything about it. So I guess from my standpoint, I, uh, there's certain things that I think is important to share with your kids, regardless of the type of mindset that you do have. Um, and we are, I I think just communication and conversation with kids about what your retirement plans are, not only your activity plan, your retirement vision, and we'll get into some of those details as well, but from a financial standpoint, uh, either you're going to be okay because that helps alleviate worry from kids. You know, kids worry about their their parents. I know I worry about my parents, uh, whether it's justified or not. It, I mean, you, you love your parents, care care about your family, and you want them to do well. So I think there's a certain level of communication that, that probably should be had, uh, dependent upon your comfort level. Um, but there's act, there's very specific action items, regardless of which mindset you, you have, there's very specific action items that you, you should be taking. And we're going to discuss some of those today, too. So that was Lauren Merkel. He's a certified financial planner and a certified financial fiduciary. Sitting next to me is Rochelle Smith, and she is the producer of this podcast. And Rochelle, 
this just happened to you. You just had a conversation like this with your mother and father. Yeah. Um, so my 30th birthday was, you know, a few months ago. And during my birthday dinner, my parents told me that they just got done redoing their will and that they made me the healthcare directive of their will for both of them. I know somewhat of what my mom wants, but nothing of what my stepdad wants. Um, but they knew that I could handle it based on my mom and I handled my grandma when she was really sick and before she passed away. So I was the one that kind of helped her. So they felt extremely comfortable with me doing that. So they made you the healthcare power of attorney Mm -hmm. uh, and your mom shared with you what she wants from a healthcare standpoint, but your stepdad did not. Did they give you the document at all? So you can have that document, read through it, kind of get your own understanding. And then also if you need it in a healthcare situation, you have it. They, they did tell me the document exists, (laughs) but they have not given it to me yet. So um, I'm sure it's coming. They said they have a copy, but then they also made me um, and my brother the power for the whole estate or whatever it is. It's called the financial power of attorney. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and then I talked to my brother and my brother's like, oh, I don't want anything to do with it. You just deal with it. And I was like, great. So we already kind of have a plan in place, I guess, which it's good. It's good to know. I feel more confident and feel better about them getting older. Cause they're about five years out from retirement. So as they get older and they start to deteriorate as, I mean, as life goes on, I feel more comfortable and safe that I know kind of where they're at. That's, that's a really important step because the, I mean, there's one thing about sharing your financial or retirement income plan of here's how much money you need. Here's where it's going to come from. And maybe some of the solace or comfort that kids will gain from that, knowing that the parents are going to be okay income wise. But I think the the healthcare part and the financial power of attorney are really important to share your wishes because, um, once an event takes place where that power of attorney is actually needed to be executed, it's too late. It's too late. So if you don't have that open communication with your kids, then they are going to be in the dark. It's a lot of stress on them anyway, but it it does help alleviate some of that stress and the anxiety if you have that conversation in advance. And Rochelle, then now you know how your mom feels about it. And in the event something does happen, you can take the necessary steps that you need to take and probably feel better about it. Whereas if you just happen to run across this document after an event takes place, you're reading through this cold page of words saying all these things that you're not sure if your mom was really wanting that or not. But having that open dialogue, I think, really will help in the event something does happen for you to perform your duties. I have a couple of questions about this document. Does it only work if both of the spouses are gone. And I'm thinking like, let's say something happens to Rochelle's mom, but Rochelle's stepdad is still alive. Does he have first choice or first chance to make medical decisions on her behalf? Or does it bypass the living spouse and go straight to Rochelle? That should be outlined in the document. Okay. It also does vary by state. So that should be specific in the document who and in what instances does that individual have power. And then does it specifically say, of course, the thing that's coming to my mind, and I'm sure there's way more decisions, is like if someone is on life support, you know, you remember that famous case like down in Florida where the mom and dad were uh, butting heads with the woman's 
husband and it went on for years that she stayed on life support or maybe it was a year is it is it life support decisions or there are a lot other things outlined in the document there's a lot of things outlined in the document life support would be one of those those items uh you probably would be surprised how many people don't have these documents in place and that's usually when we're where we see this conflict some some event happens the power of attorney is not in place and at that point because they're incapacitated they can't execute a power of attorney so now there's different parties, different loved ones that have uh, conflicting views, fighting, trying to figure out. And of course, the state is going to default to keeping them alive and, and maintaining that, that, uh, that status. So it, whether or not that's what the real wishes of that individual is. So if you don't have a healthcare power of attorney, if you don't have a financial power of attorney, those are documents that are not necessarily difficult to get in place, but it's really important to do so. And think about your loved ones. Think about the people who may potentially be, be fighting and creating a conflict between your loved ones if you don't have that in place. And typically what we see is they both have your best interests at heart, but it's really hard when you see your mom, when you see your dad go through something like that. It's really hard to say, okay, um, and try. It's really hard to interpret what they would have said without that communication or the document, and trying to you know pulling the plug on somebody that that you really care about. That's that's hard for some people to do, even though it may be what they wanted. Well, in the interest of airing our family stuff, uh, we're in the my family's in the first camp. There, we don't talk about it. Uh, my dad, if you ask him, Dad, what's your plan for you know like long term care or any of that. Just push me off a cliff. I mean, that's literally <laughs> what he says every time I address this subject. Sounds since like I, your dad talks to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've, since I've been working with you with you for four years, that's been his response every time. You've been doing this for t- over 20 years, and that's your father's response. And some people just aren't going to change if that's their response. No, I mean, and my parents have always been very private as well. Probably about a decade ago, they started opening up to me uh, with questions and concerns that they had. So the I'm pretty aware of what's going on with their situation now. Um, but that's what my dad always says. In fact, my mom says the same thing. And and I hear this all the time. When people are in the pre-retirement phase, that's not typically when they're concerned about long-term care. There are a number of pre-retirees that are, but typically where I hear the questions about long-term care is once they have retired. They've settled into retirement for a couple of years. They got the income thing figured out. They're confident about having enough income. And now it's a matter of what else is next. What else could happen in their retirement? And maybe they've seen their parents go through a long-term care event firsthand. They see some friends, family, and they see how devastating that can be to their financials. And now they start to worry and say, what should we be doing with this? Uh, but a lot of people say, "Just I'm gonna I'm gonna go out to the back forty, or or I'm gonna jump off a cliff." Don't put your family in that situation. Right? As many times yeah. as Thanks, I, Dad. As, as many times as I've heard that, I've never seen it happen. Right. Never seen it happen. So we need a more realistic plan. We need a plan that's not going to put your your uh, family, your surviving family members, potentially behind bars. Right. So I've, I've heard just give me a gun. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. So there needs to be a plan for it. Uh, and think about think about your family and what they have to go through in the event that you have something like that. And let's let's make it easier for them. So if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, OK, when should I involve my kids? No matter what camp I'm in, there are actionable item steps that you can take to prepare for retirement. So first, let's talk about the zero involvement. You're one of those people who's private. You don't want the kids to really know what you have, how you're going to proceed as you move to and through retirement. That doesn't mean that you should be totally hands off, though, when it comes to planning for this? Well, I think at 
the very minimum, what would be very beneficial is if you have an inventory list of what you have. So uh, passwords of different accounts, where the money is held, uh, what particular banks, approximate dollar amounts uh, on, a, on that date. So the kids are not trying to tear down walls and seeing what's hidden behind the walls or dig up your backyard to see what potentially could be in there because they've heard the stories that you've you've said about grandma and grandpa where they had to do that. Uh, it's just really easy. It's concise. Maybe even some phone numbers for the institutions that they can, they can call. If you're working with a planner or an advisor, the contact information for that planner or advisor, it just makes it really easy. And, and this is one of, the, one of the benefits of doing the comprehensive retirement planning that we, we do is our families have that plan. It's a written document, and as a part of that written document, there is an inventory list of all of the different assets they have, whether it's assets here at Merkle Retirement Planning or it's their checking and savings accounts at a local bank. It's all inventoried, it's all dated, and it's just a one, a, a nice, concise one-pager. So that was something like that would be very beneficial for your kids to see in the event that you pass and if you are of that first mindset where you don't want to share anything with your kids. You want to be really private uh, you don't want them to know about it. At least have an inventory sheet to make things easier once you do once you do pass. A couple of other things you can do, no matter what mindset you are of, is to have your TOD, your beneficiaries, and some other things in place as well. What what you're hoping for is the smoothest transition uh, once you pass. The smoothest transition of assets, have the beneficiaries, your loved ones, uh, do the least amount of work possible. It's an emotional time frame anyway, and this uh, financial anxiety in addition to the emotional anxiety of just losing you is is a tough thing to go through. So the transfer on death, which Molly referred to as the TOD, that is typically a beneficiary designation for uh, custodians like brokerage accounts. Uh, on your IRAs and 401k plans, make sure you have the beneficiary designations as well as your bank accounts. This is one that we see missed all of the time. Your checking account, your savings account at your local institution, you can have a pay payable on death, POD, which does the exact same thing as a beneficiary designation on your IRA or 401k plan and the exact same thing as a TOD or a transfer on death on your brokerage account. And all of these beneficiary designations do is they allow these assets to by, bypass the probate process, which means it's a typically a pr private transaction and it's the easiest way to transition these assets to your loved ones. Speaking of the checking and savings, a lot of times people default to putting one of their children on checking or savings with them. If they should pass, then, they, then the child can take over that checking and savings account. But that's not a good idea because that child, if they would happen to get divorced or, or be in a lawsuit, they can go after those assets, right? You know, this is, this is interesting because I, whenever this topic comes up, I remember a conversation. I remember my mom always wanted to talk to us kids about financial matters, things of concern, credit cards, what it means, how to, how, what things to look out for. And this is one of the conversations that, that I remember coming up and she was telling me or us that it was a good idea to have joint ownership on a check in her savings account because the event, in the event that they pass, then us kids will have direct access to it and there's going to be very little time or no time before we can get access to that money. So I, I kind of remember them putting my sister on as joint owner on some of their accounts. Now, that seems like a good thing on the surface because that joint owner does have direct access. But what does happen or some of the risks that take place with that is if your kid is a joint owner on your account 
and they get married or they're already married and then they get divorced, then half of that or a part of that money is going to be caught up in that divorce. If they get sued, if they're a part of a lawsuit, then that money will be thrown into that lawsuit as well. So there are some risks to doing that. And the, the easiest way to, to not have those risks and still have an ease of transition when you're gone is just to put that payable on death or that beneficiary designation on it. And your kids will have access to it typically within 7 to 10 business days. Once they supply that death certificate, it's a very easy transition of assets and you don't have to worry about some of those other risks while you're alive. Another thing you've seen recently or a story that's worth sharing, I think, is uh, when a family maybe has a second property, a lake home. I think parents probably assume, oh, all the kids want a piece of our awesome lake home. We had so many great memories there. But you find that that isn't always the case. Part of the value of putting together a retirement plan that has an inventory sheet or just putting together an inventory of your different assets is you can then visually see here's all the different assets that you have and then have a good conversation with your spouse or think through anyway where you want these different assets to go. And I think that this is one of the the added on benefits of having communication with your kids too, of saying here's the different items that you do have. Who wants what? In the event I'm gone tomorrow, which one of my kids would prefer this particular type of assets? And then you can be really intentional, which can save some headaches as well. So this particular family, uh, they had three kids. They had a lake home, a beautiful lake home, uh, but not all three of the kids would want that lake home. Uh, one particular, their, their son was a doctor. So he had, he had, he was doing very well financially. The money wasn't all that important to him, but he really enjoyed the lake home where the, the two other kids, they weren't doing as well financially from an asset standpoint, and they would probably benefit more from the, the monetary assets, the money, the cash, the IRAs, as opposed to having this lake home that they really didn't enjoy all that much and probably couldn't afford to maintain an upkeep as well as, as the other son. So having communication with their three kids, they identified what would be a more valuable and beneficial asset to them, and then they can be more intentional as to what asset they should be leaving. So if they left that lake home to their son, which he really wanted and would really enjoy and he could afford and he could use, the the monetary assets weren't all that important to him. They could leave more of the IRAs and the cash to their other two kids who would really benefit from that, kind of ramp up their retirement savings and make them feel more financially stable as well. Then what they're doing is they're really, really uh, ballooning the value of the assets that they've worked so hard to to accumulate and then they're they're having a better impact than on their family whereas if they they just split everything in thirds well the two kids who really didn't want the lake home it can create a real issue with between the three of them because it's a hard asset that's a real asset it's not very it's not very liquid so they have to go through a process of determining who's going to Who's going to use it? Who's going to own it? Who's going to pay for the upkeep and all the stuff that goes into owning a hard asset like that? Or would you have to sell your portion of the home to your sibling? I mean, that just sounds kind of sticky too. Like if they left it to all three of you, but two of you didn't want it. There's a lot of opportunity for conflict and and whether it's a lake home or what we see here a lot in, in rural Iowa is farmland where there's one kid who's still actively engaged in the farming. There's three other kids who want absolutely nothing to do with it. The parents pass away. This farmland, maybe 500 acres, is is a multi-million dollar 
piece of land. And so the one kid who really wants to keep the family legacy going from a farming standpoint and the other three, they just want to cash out. Well, now he has to come up with millions of dollars to buy out his siblings, which is not all that easy. So the siblings are impatient, causes conflict between the four of them. And then he has to try to find out or go, go get some financing to try to buy them out, which could be extremely difficult depending upon the marketplace at that time or the environment. And it could put him in a financial struggle as well to, to finance such a large portion just to try to keep the family farming legacy going. And I feel like this all comes from a good place from the parent standpoint. They're thinking, we'll split the cabin three ways because we don't want to favor one child. We'll split the farmland three ways because we don't want you to think we favor one child over the other. But had this conversation had taken place, then the kids would have known exactly how the parents felt. It wasn't a favoritism thing if they left the farmland. It's because the one child actually wants to work the land and the other two don't. It is absolutely understandable why parents would want to just split everything equal amongst their kids because number one, it's easy for them. They they can't avoid the sometimes harder, not pleasant conversations of about them passing and who would want these particular items. But I think if you have that relationship with your kids where you can be a little bit more open about it and ask some of the tough questions of who would want some of these bigger assets that you do have, then I think the uh, the transition process uh, and really the meaning that your assets can provide to your family once you're gone can really be magnified if you have some some intentional conversations around that. And everybody's open about what their what their wishes really are. So clearly, knowing where the money goes, how the money transfers, very important. But you also find it important for the kids to know the activity plan, the lifestyle plan, the overall retirement goals. Yeah, I think part of this uh, conversation is going to be more around comfort. I mean, the, the the kids do have concerns for their parents. Again, I worry about my parents, what they're going to do in retirement, what their life is going to look like, how can they afford it. Um, so was, I think it's more about, more about money than just what does their retirement look like. We've all heard the stories where people retire, two years later they pass away because they don't have that established activity plan, their mind's not working, their body's not working, and they just kind of deteriorate to a point that they, they – they can't make it anymore. So I think there's there, with the, this conversation, you can provide some comfort to your kids that you have this thought out and, and there's some of the plans that you have that you really want to engage in. And, and the kids don't necessarily understand the mindset that you're in because the kids haven't lived through that. I mean, the kids are still in that accumulation phase. They're in the, the, uh, the phase where they're running back and forth between kids' games and just life is hectic. So they haven't had the opportunity to really slow down and look like what a life is going to feel like and look like without work. And you're getting there or you're already there. So allowing them to kind of live through your eyes of what your life is going to look like, uh, I think will help help uh, introduce them to a new world that you're going to be going through. So do, do you plan to move when you retire? Do you want to go south for the winter? What's your migration plan look like? All of these different things can help alleviate the surprises that can come in retirement from a kid's standpoint. Cause a kid, again, your kids aren't thinking like this. They don't have that same mindset cause they're not there yet. So it's about alleviating some of the surprise, providing a little bit more comfort to your kids can make this transition a little bit easier as well. Do you find that because of a few bad apples, uh, children are ever skeptical of the plan that retirement planners and financial advisors put in place 
and then they come, maybe want to come to a meeting, but there's a, a level of hostility or a level of skepticism that they bring? As a part of what it is that we do, we work with pre-retirees and retirees. So typically our families are going to be 55 to 70 when, they for, when we first start working with them. What that means is by the time they get to that point, they probably worked with at least one, maybe two, maybe three different advisors. And the reason they're not working with those advisors or want to leave those advisors is probably because something very bad has happened. And the kids have seen that. The kids have had communication with their parents and lived with their parents through those different things. And financial advisors do have a reputation of being very, very self-serving. So there is a level of skepticism a lot of times when parents will talk to their kids about meeting a financial advisor for the first time, putting together some kind of plan for their retirement. I really enjoy the opportunities to meet our family's kids. When our families bring their kids into the meetings, whether it's the very first meeting, the second meeting, or the 10th meeting, I think it is a really good thing. If they can all be on the same page of here's what the plan looks like, here's the tools that are going to be used within their plan, and everybody agrees that that is the best route for, for the parents, then it can really prevent a lot of uh, misunderstanding later down the road uh, when the parents become incapacitated or pass away, and then the kids open up this thing for the very first time and they have all these questions about what's this what's this why are we doing this why are we doing this if everybody is on the same page prior to any of those events i think it can be really beneficial for all parties involved so we we actively encourage our families to bring their kids uh, again there's three different mindsets typically that we we that people have and we want to respect those mindsets so at whatever level you feel comfortable i think is the right level to have your kids engaged in an age of video conference calls and Zoom meetings and emails, there is still something beneficial about looking someone in the eyes and, and getting to know them and finding out that, yes, they have my parents' best interest at heart. There is a level of comfort when you can sit across the table from somebody and not only listen to what's coming out of their mouth, but also read the nonverbals. And, and you can get to know somebody a lot better when you can sit across the table and have that type of interaction. So I think that's definitely beneficial. And it's also really beneficial to engage the your kids with your planner or with your advisor prior to something happen, happening. Because once something happens, they the advisor and your kids haven't met for the first time. They haven't met for the first time. This is not the first time that the kids have learned about the nuances of your retirement plan. If they're involved in that construction process or at least the maintenance process after the plan has been involved, then they have some kind of existing relationship with your advisor. Something happens to you and it's not a, a, a meet and greet. It is a conversation that they can talk about you, about what your wishes were. Everybody's on the same page. It's somewhat of an established relationship. And I can tell you the, uh, the instances where we have that, that foundation built, the conversation does go smoother and the transition can be easier as well. I know that you recommend to people update their wills, look at these things as life changes, but legislative changes can sometimes affect these documents and the SECURE Act should prompt many people to do a review of their will or trust. The SECURE Act was a huge legislative change that happened December of 2019, but a lot of people have forgotten about it because what happened in February was COVID took over the entire world. Uh, but the SECURE Act does have some, some big changes uh, as you're reviewing your estate plan. Uh, if you don't have a will or you have an outdated will, make sure you get the will updated. 
review whether or not you you uh, need a trust. If you already have a trust, then you want to make sure that your trust is secure act ready. A lot of people who had a trust in place prior to the SECURE Act need to modify that trust because the implications of the SECURE Act could be that your IRA money, which is where most people have their retirement savings, if you have specific control measures around, you don't want Johnny, your son, 30-year-old Johnny, to receive a million dollars all at once, so you have some control measures in that, the SECURE Act could completely blow up that trust and make sure that Johnny receives a lot less of that money and Uncle Sam receives a lot more. So make sure if you have a trust, it needs to be reviewed. Make sure it's SECURE Act ready. And when you update your will or put your will in place, update your trust, put your trust in place, it is an excellent opportunity to also make sure you have your healthcare directives and your financial directives, your, your healthcare power of attorney, financial power of attorney, and living will updated or implemented as well. All of those things should work together and is and are going to be the main documents that comprise your legacy plan. And the SECURE Act has a big enough effect on retirement plans that we did an entire TV show on the SECURE Act and how it can affect your retirement. If you go to YouTube and search Merkle Retirement Planning, you can find the episode that we did specifically on the SECURE Act. Plus, you can always listen to this podcast. It's Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC.